liberal. Anyhow, if you have your Bible and if you don't, I invite you to turn with me uh, somewhere, even on your telephone, to Romans chapter 1. I owe Rick a sermon on Psalm 139. That'll come someday, Lord willing. But for today, I would like for you to join me back in Romans chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 18 through 23. I remind you that what is being read is the very word of God and it would serve us well to pay careful attention. But before we read it together, let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of it to us. Our Father and our God, as we consider the perfection of your being, the excellence of your character, the majesty of your holiness. We ask that we might be brought even now to the foot of the cross where our souls may become as white as snow and we may be clothed with an alien righteousness, not our own which is truly our only hope to stand in your holy presence. Unstop our ears, remove the scales from our eyes, crush our hearts of stone. Grant that we might even see Christ this very day. Amen. In Christ's name. Romans chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immoral God, immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We live in a culture and sadly in a church that if they believe in the existence of God, do not consider God to be holy. But as some even acknowledge that he is holy, they don't add to that holiness any idea of divine justice. And if we find any who agree that God is both holy and just, I ask, can we find someone, anyone, who will add to these elements the idea that God is a God of wrath? The assumption in the world and in the church today is that 
the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God excuse me, overshadow and swallow up the justice and wrath of God. We sing amazing grace, but have we fallen from a state of being amazed by his grace to a place where we've accepted that grace and perhaps have begun to assume that grace and maybe even fallen into a place of demanding that grace. You following me? It's time for me to loosen up and get going a little bit. Have you lost your zeal For how amazing God's grace is. Have you come to a place in your life today in which you have accepted God's grace? You've assumed God's grace. Well, God will forgive me. God will pardon me. He has accepted me. He'll continue to accept me. To a place in which you almost demand of God the grace he has bestowed upon you. There are 20 themes in the Bible, and then in addition to those 20 themes, there are perhaps another 50 to 70 themes. And really, we should know all those themes to rightly handle the word of God, at least the first 20. And one of the doctrines that we have to have as a fundamental tool in order to rightly handle the word of God is a doctrine that has been neglected for decades now. A doctrine that has been forgotten because we have become a people that have accepted the grace of God, then we've assumed the grace of God, and now we demand the grace of God. We take the grace of God for granted. That doctrine is the doctrine of the wrath of God. The holiness of God, the justice of God, and the wrath of God. And what we see in our text today is very important. And it's something the church has forgotten. We have sought to make God attractive. To primp God up, if you will, to do his hair to fix him up, to put him in cool clothes, to make him look good, to make him attractive to people in order to draw people to him. You see, a wrathless God is no God at all. For his very nature and his very character demand his wrath. And be presumed on the grace of God. Has it lost its amazing, amazingness? Do you take it for granted? God has pardoned me. He'll pardon me again. He'll continue to pardon me. In fact, I expect him to do just that. What do you know this morning of the wrath of God? Believe it or not, this is providential in and of itself. 
for before you this very day is a visible sign of God's wrath, of his character, of his holiness, of his justice that demanded none other than the second person of the blessed trinity, Christ Jesus, to die for sinners like you and me. Do you feel the weight of the table as you come on Sunday mornings in which you celebrate the sacrament? Do you feel the weight of that table? Or is it something that has become like the amazing grace of God? Something we do once a month, once a quarter, whatever we do? Is it something you just do? Like the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who I believe the Apostles' Creed. On those mornings in which the table has been set, as we enter those doors, we should be a people most humbled to see this visible sign of the cost of our sin. And we should continue to be amazed of the grace that God has bestowed upon us. Look at what Paul says here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We see here Paul's motivation for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the last time we were together, if you can remember back that far, that we were talking about Paul the missionary. And that he was obligated to share the good news. But more than that, he was eager to share the good news with everybody he encountered along the way. And here in verse 18, we see the motivation for Paul's desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And he begins with the wrath of God. Now, how many sermons over, and I don't know, maybe Dr. Winston preached on the wrath of God, but I know I've been traveling around and I hear very little about the holiness of God, the justice of God, and the wrath of God. We talked about the mission. We talked that the mission should be in step with the message, and the message drives the mission. And here we see the motivation for evangelism. Isn't your best life now? I love Vody here, and I'm going to use him. If you can't say amen, you better say ouch. Paul's motivation, the reason why he's so eager to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying people, isn't that they would have their best life now. Isn't that they would be healthy. Isn't that they would be wealthy. Isn't that they would have everything they want. His motivation was the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. This sacrament is the wrath of God revealed on ungodliness and unrighteousness. You get that, don't you? 
truly is. Now, if that doesn't amaze you, check your pulse. Because what we've forgotten is we are ungodly. Man, I hate when he comes, he tells me I'm a dirty, rotten sinner every time he comes. And then I'm unrighteous. And then I'm no good. Listen, beloved. Any gospel that does not present a holy and righteous God who's angry about sin isn't good news. People ask me everywhere I go, well, what is it you've, you've, you've learned? You've been in the pastorate for 20 years. You're doing this mission thing now. You're all over the world and love, love, love. What, what is it that you've learned? Here's what I've learned, and here's what I want you to leave with today. I need the gospel of grace to be true, and I know that more and more the older I get. Because we presumed on the grace of God. The gospel was never intended to be man-centered, and we've made it man-centered. The gospel has always been intended to be God-centered, to be about God. It's his. It's about him. And the good news is, is he loves us so much that he gave his son for us. That's the good news. But it's about him. Do you think that our evangelism and our mission efforts have failed because we have sought to make God attractive instead of presenting God as he truly is? A God who hates sin. He hates it. You can't say that in today's world. I'm in three states now. None of them like me because I'm talking about God hating sin and about them not being good and needing what's represented in this sacrament. Because we've packaged God up now to say, God is love. That might be the God of the Old Testament, but that's not my God. That's not the God of the New Testament. Do you know the Old Testament alone speaks about the wrath of God 600 times? Now, if the word of God speaks about a topic 600 times, don't you think we ought to be talking about it more and less about ourselves? And if anything, the New Testament shows us the wrath of God poured out on the only sacrifice that could atone for our sin and appease the wrath of God. God himself. Think about that. For the wrath of God has been revealed. It's Paul's motivation. Now what is God's wrath? Here's the misconception. We think like humans, right? We think like humans, and I get that because I'm a human, and I think like a human being too. But we, we think that God is wrath. When we think in terms of God's wrath, we think of rage, don't we? We immediately equate like he's out of control. He's very angry. His anger is burning so much it's just explosive. Like a fit of rage. That's not wrath at all. When the Bible talks about the wrath of God, really what it's talking about is God's hatred of sin. Have you forgotten how much God hates sin? 
You see, if God is love, God, by necessity, must hate. Well, why? He's love. Well, he's love, and he hates what? Anything opposed or that stands in opposition to his holiness, to his justice, to who he is. That's the reason for Christ. And we're going around the world, and we're going around even in our own churches today, and we're talking about God being love, and God is love, and we present God as a friend, and we present God as a buddy, and we present Jesus as all these things that are sweet and nice and true. Hear me. And true. But we do it in such a way, or we do it at the expense of the very nature of God. We forget that he's not just our buddy. Jesus, you want to kick back today and watch some football? Now we're talking about God incarnate. And you see, when we understand the holiness of God, the wrath of God, the justice of God, we can appreciate more what? The love of God, the mercy of God. And we come into worship, our worship would be transformed. But none of us come to worship anymore with fear and trembling, do we? This is my church. It's been my church for 50 years in Hollyfield. I'll roll up in there and I'll tell them what for. Right? Think about it. When I first gave this sacrament, I was freshly ordained at a seminary. I went down. It was a church of about 500 people. I went down and stood 350, 400, somewhere like that. It was a lot of people for a young guy like me in the, in the ministry. I stood in front of the table. I couldn't do anything but cry. I stood there and cried. I thought, man, I get to institute the sacrament. Bawling like a baby thinking, I better not do this. I can't do I shouldn't do this. <laughs> I wish I still felt like that every day. But I don't. I sit like you sit and I presume on the grace of God. And in fact, I even demand it sometimes. And what a shame that is which only drives me right back to the necessity of this table and what it represents. Because I am sinful. Because I am unrighteous. Don't ever forget, there are none righteous. There are none who seek after God. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in and out, in out, or excuse me, outside of Christ Jesus, the wrath of God burns against us. Question: You think sinners in the hands of an angry God would scare anybody today? That marvelous sermon, right, Jonathan Edwards' sermon? We all know that. God used it to ignite the the, the revival in eighteen hundreds, right? You're familiar with that? Would that scare anyone today? 
I, read, I made my children read that sermon when they were little. My daughter drew me this beautiful little seven-year-old drawing of spiders on little webs and flames everywhere. She's still in therapy today over Not just kidding. That sits in my room. It sat in my room now for 30 years. Not that long, but it seems it. 25 years. Would that scare anyone today? The pit of hell, the reality of hell? The misconception is, is I think, sinners in the hands of an angry God is about the wrath of God. And that is true. But more than that, it's about the hand of God that upholds us. Amen? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget that you are a sinner in the hand of an angry God. And it's only by his grace that you are kept from the pit of hell. This is one of those Southern Baptist kind of sermons today, isn't it? But somewhere along the way, we've been giving commentaries to people. We give great commentaries from our pulpits, don't we? We have marvelous students now in our pews how to parse Greek verbs and they can outline just about any pericope in the Bible. But the problem is they can't take what they've learned from the pulpit home and apply it to their lives. They know everything about the context of the passage. They have no idea that the battleground is really the battle for their heart and the prize is their behavior. Amen? Think about that, how glorious that is. Paul says, for the wrath of God is being revealed. God hates sin. This is a marvelous day. So what? What do I want to do? Someone's going to walk out today and says, boy, that was a lot of nice things, but so what? Here, to the unbeliever today, don't leave today without settling the matter of salvation. Today's the day of the Lord. Today's the day of salvation. Place your faith and trust in Christ alone. For your salvation. Settle that today. <clears throat> to the believer, ask yourself this tough question. Are you, have you moved into a place in which you demand God's grace? You're no longer amazed by it. <laughs> You're never in awe by it. You just expect it. You assume it. God will pardon See, that's an issue of the heart that is revealed in behavior, right? And if you've come to a place in which you're demanding the grace of God and you're no longer amazed by the grace of God, repent. For today's the day of the Lord. Today's the day of salvation. Amen. Think about it. To the church, start preaching the full counsel of That God is holy. That God is just. That God is a God of wrath. He's love. He's mercy. He's grace. Call people to repentance. To turn from their sin. To see the ugliness of their sin. To see the necessity of the table of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the power of his resurrection. You understand the gospel is all about your place before the God of creation. You get that, right? The gospel is about position. Your position 
before a holy and righteous God. Outside of Christ, you're in a bad place. Inside of Christ, you're in a new relationship too. Your creator and seen as a son or daughter, a co-heir of Christ Jesus. The gospel is all about position. We never call people to realize one day we'll be face to face with God. That's what motivated Paul. See, Paul was face to face with the resurrection of Christ, was he not? And Paul says, I'm obligated to preach the gospel. I'm eager to preach the gospel. Why? Because I want people, when they, they come face to face with their creator, with God himself, are pardoned and free and transformed forevermore. You get it, don't you? It's all about position. Our union with Christ changes our status. And as the sons and daughters of the living God, we should no longer, and we need to stop and repent and confess that we have indeed assumed the grace of God and in many cases demanded the grace of God and we're no longer amazed by it. Every morning I get up and do this, I'm amazed. And basically because I look in the mirror, I see what you see and I know what you don't know. assume on the grace of God. Preach the full counsel of God. God is holy. God is just. God is a God of wrath. God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. And God is a God of grace. Our Father and our God, as the table is set before us, and we consider just in a small way who you are this morning, I pray that we would you would stir in us a renewed love for how amazing grace is. And yet that we would still come in fear and trembling. For we truly are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And it's only by your grace, Lord, that we are kept from the pit of hell itself. May we always be mindful of that truth. May that be what motivates us for the expansion of the kingdom. May we love you and your people in such a way that we would indeed call people to repentance and see them plucked, plucked, from the pit of death 
Thank you for what's before us. We ask again, even that you would bless it. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. If you would, take your hymnal now and turn with me to How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds, hymn 647. We'll sing verses 1 and 2 as the elders come and uncover the table. <laughs> 